want to welcome everybody here tonight. How's everybody doing? Yes, doing good. It's been a good day. I hope everybody had a good day. I was at, I was, uh, well, I was earlier today. I ran into this gentleman, and uh, I said, how are you doing, sir? He said, I'm doing okay. I, I knew him from another, another uh, engagement. We don't know each other that well, but we talked about no matter how bad the day is, when you got Jesus, it's always a good day. Amen. It's always a good day, no matter what happens. Come on. All right, so we want to welcome you to the Tabernacle class. Whoo! Come on, man. I mean, y'all were like in it in the dream school, but we got to get in it for the Tabernacle class. He's getting us ready, huh? So uh, we, we, felt, we felt in prayer, hey, we want to welcome the youth uh, here tonight. Amen. Let's give them some love. They'll be, they'll be joining us the next few Wednesdays, and um, so all honored and, and just so glad you guys are here. Um, I think we have uh, books up here. Yeah, if you don't have a book, you grab a book. If you already have a book, you just grab a paper, right? Is that how it goes? Yeah, there's a sheet right there. Some some is torn out. In the, uh, I was looking at one and John it in. It was completely gone. Yeah. It says, do not take away from the Bible. I know. I'm so hot. I'm burning. Ooh, Jesus. So good to see everybody. Awesome. So we uh, we wanted to launch this uh, this three week. This will be for three weeks. And uh, one of the things that we were praying, we felt the direction of the Lord on this, um, God had put on Mary Esther's heart a long time ago. I remember we put it on the counter a long time ago uh, to do on the Feast of Purim, which is the last Wednesday night of this month, just a, just a massive celebration of worship and uh, an amazing thing. So we're going to have like food. We're going to do dish to pass, have a meal together, and then just roll right into worship. But what's really cool is uh, meeting with Mary Esther and um, Parthena, we're, they're going to set the sanctuary up as a full-scale replica tabernacle that last Wednesday night. So you'll actually be able to enter in and have a good visual of everything we've talked about up to that point. And actually we can encounter and worship the Lord together. So that last Wednesday night, so it's going to be a massive worship night and just we're going to have a good time. But uh, we, wanna, we wanted to insert some structure, some, some foundational word about the tabernacle with the prophetic edge on it. Because what I've learned about the tabernacle in the Old Testament is you just have to look at it through a prophetic lens. And so much more, I think, comes out. And so we want to we wanna try to do that for the next, next couple Wednesdays. I will tell you straight up that we are not like tabernacle experts. But, um, so, but we'll, we'll learn it we're together. We're learning with you. We're learning with you. But... Um, I, I, we we kind of really enjoy open discussion and questions. So I, I really want to encourage, um, if you do have questions, let's, let's, we can take them. We can take a question. I would ask if you could keep it to the subject at hand, though, because sometimes, you know, you can go, like, to right field, left field. But if it really is. We don't a, have that problem here. No. I kind of do it sometimes. But. Not these prophetic people. <laughs> yeah. 
But, uh, but we'll have, uh, we want to, we want to, we, this is what I feel. I feel like learning, we learn from each other too. And I think there's enough mature people in this room that we can handle something that it comes our way we don't know. So we'll, we'll take a shot at it. But I want to encourage you. If you have a question along the way, raise your hand and uh, we'll try to answer it. And we may even call on you and uh, just kind of get, get things lively. Amen. Awesome. So everybody has a handout? No, if you don't have a handout, they're up there on that table. And um, so we're going to talk about the first kind of first lesson is uh, the concept of dwelling. That's what I call this class, the concept of dwelling. So who can tell me something about the tabernacle? Where the presence of God rests. It's a really good answer. Who could give me a piece of the furniture associated with the tabernacle? The labor. Do, do, you know, do you know what the, the labor was used for? Yes. That's good. That's good. That's excellent. Awesome. Yeah. So she said Lavar, the Lavar, which was the water cleansing pot where, people, where they would wash their hands and cleanse themselves before they went into the tabernacle. It was one of the furniture pieces. Thank you. It, the last thing they saw was their face before they went in. Come on, that's awesome. So um, anything else about the tabernacle? Is there anything else that, that you stood out? We're going we're gonna to ask if you could talk into the mic. Because um, uh, the, the table of showbread. Table of showbread. You got, you got to tell me something about the table of showbread. Oh. It, uh, it re- represents the communion. It represents the communion. Yeah. Do you, do you know how many loaves are on the table? There you go. 12. Come on. You got it. 12. 12, 12 loaves. We'll get into that later. Each tribe, right? Come on. Yep. I, I used to have a professor uh, in one of my classes. He was the most, I mean, he was challenging. And you know how this one professor would do? He, he would go in this class, and, you know, we had the homework before. And, you know, usually they just didn't even go over it. But this guy... Who constitutional law class. He went over it. And it was like 200 pages of reading. It could be anywhere. And so he would come to class, and he'd be like, Michael, so what would you think about page 89, that concept? <laughs> you tell the class what your thoughts are. And there's many times I had blanks. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's fun. I learned a lot from that class. So we may just do that, too. <laughs> uh, but... Um, but the tabernacle is awesome. So we just want to get into it. Here's one thing I want to start with. I felt, I've heard a lot of things about the tabernacle. Like, why do we really need to know about it? I mean, it's in the Old Testament. We don't offer bulls and goats anymore to worship the Lord. Why, why, why is it really significant? So I've heard a lot of those things. And I want to debunk that myth because it is a myth. <laughs> And what I want to show us, first of all, is that there is a tabernacle in heaven. I'm going to say that again. There is a tabernacle like this one in heaven right now. So go with your Bible. I'm going to show you. Go to Revelation 15.9. We're just kind of open up with some of these. There is a tabernacle of heaven. We're going to do a little, some Bible searches here. Revelation 15.5.
Revelation 15.5. And this is what John, because we know Revelation is uh, where John has a revelation. And the Lord brings him up into heaven. And he opens up the throne room of heaven, the throne, the worship. He sees all these things. He sees the, the apocalyptic events that's going to occur at the end times. He sees all these things in Revelation. But look at this in this, uh, verse 5. It says, after this, I looked in heaven. I looked in heaven, the temple, that is the tabernacle. That is the tabernacle of the testimony was opened out of the temple and then came with seven angels and seven plagues. We won't get into that part right now, but I just wanted you to see. I looked in heaven in the temple, the tabernacle of the testimony. Look at Revelation eleven nineteen, chapter 11, verse 19. I think it's interesting to note some characteristics there of the tabernacle in heaven. It was wide open. It says it was, well, my New Living Translation says it was thrown wide open. Thrown wide open. And if you move down to verse 8 and 15, it says the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, and that's what mine says in 19. Then God's temple which is another word for tabernacle in Greek, in heaven was open, thrown open within the temple was seen the ark of the covenant. I'm going to say that again. Then God's temple in heaven was thrown open and within his temple was seen the what? The ark of the covenant. That's his throne. Which was highly closed off in the earthly tabernacle. Cool. Okay, and then the next one is uh, Revelation 4. 11-19. Yeah, I did 11-19. That was it. Chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. Revelation 4, verse 4 through 7. And he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll to look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has come. He is able to open the scroll. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong place. Yes, Revelation 4, 4. 24 thrones surrounded him. <laughs> I got you back, baby. Thank you, baby. And 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning wow. and rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. Who can tell me what that means? Seven spirits of what God. What does it look like? What is that in representing? The earth? In connection to the tabernacle. The menorah, yes. The menorah. The lampstand, right? There were seven candles on the lampstand in the in the tabernacle. But here you got the seven spirits of God blazing in front of the throne. I love that it's the menorah is sitting in front of the throne too. Mm, that's really that's really it's interesting. It's like a it's like a representation of who he is, his seven spirits, his seven characteristics. And we're going to get into that too, as we're going to go in deep next week on the ark and, and and those things, the cherubim. But um, looked in chapter Revelation five verse eight. This is the one I skipped ahead to. But it says in verse 8, chapter 5, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell face down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they had golden bowls full of incense, 
which are the prayers of the saints. It's basically what we did tonight. Harp and bowl, prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. But in the tabernacle, how was that used? Does anybody know? There was an incense altar before the veil. So there's actually two altars, huh? And there was that, that altar of incense right before the veil that went up day and night. And in Revelation, it's there, but it's also the prayers of the saints. So I just think that's really interesting. Last one on this one. Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 5. You know, and I don't know, I don't know this whole thing, but I'm, I'm approaching it like, wow. Says, well, I'll start in verse four. It says, and then the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God and from the angel's hand. And then the angel, my goodness, took the censer. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the where? The altar. How would there be an altar in heaven? Filled it with fire from the altar in heaven and hurled it into the earth. Wow. And the thunder crashed. You just see, you just see the role. I mean, that's, there was a person that did that kind of role. It was the priest. It was the priestly role that would take the censers of incense and, and hurl them all around the tabernacle and fill the whole atmosphere with the fragrance. And uh, here is that picture again. But what we wanted you to see is that there is a reason why you just don't rip the Old Testament out. There's a reason why you have to study the tabernacle. It's a reason why you have to know these things because it's in heaven today. So in order really to understand the whole heaven paradigm tabernacle, you got to go back to the beginning. Makes sense, doesn't it? You have to know where you come from, how it started in order to really gain a deeper perspective of it. So um, we, wanted to, we wanted to open up with that. Um, okay, so now let's go to the actual tabernacle. Go with me to Exodus 25. And we're just going to talk a little bit about this first point about the formation of the tabernacle. You like saying that word, the tabernacle. I like saying that word sometimes. The nabertacle. The, the tabernacle. Uh, Exodus. 25, 25 verse 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. Chapter 25, verse 1. And um, we we're just going to really focus on verse 1 through 8, this passage for tonight. Maybe get in a few other things. But uh, we really want to talk about the tabernacle. Now, kind of to set up the context, do you remember what's happening? Moses is being summoned by the Lord in the mountain. And uh, a couple of verses preceding it, it said that he saw the glory cloud settle on the land. Settled on the land. And when the glory cloud settled on the land, it said it covered the whole mountain, kind of like a tent. And Moses went in. And when he went into this mountain, when he went into the cloud, he saw something he never saw before. And God showed him a design, a pattern, if you will, of how worship in heaven can be brought down into the earth. And so the Lord wanted his people to worship, but there was a way, there was a, there was a pattern that he wanted his people to follow. So that's how we get to the tabernacle. Now you remember, right? They're coming out of Egypt. They were slaves. How long were they slaves for? How many? 
400 years. That's a long time. That's, I think, longer than slavery was in America. That's a long time. 400 years of slave, slavery mindset. People, they're freed. They've crossed the Red Sea. Now, after they crossed the Red Sea, they came to the Mount Sinai where God is at this, this encounter. Calls Moses up. Now, listen here. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. Someone say offering. An offering. And you are to receive the offering from me, each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive. I just want to stop right there. And uh, I, I felt this was, you read over this so many times, I do. But I felt this was so important. I think this is the very first thing that kind of jumped out to me about the formation of the tabernacle. And you know what it was? It was birthed out of what? It was birthed out of a offering, but not just any offering. It was a free will offering. He said, I only want, I only want it from those who really want to give to me. If you really don't want to give to me, I don't want it because my presence can't dwell there. So this is talking about his dwelling place is built from the place of love and not obligation. And, and that's what he used to build the house. That's what he used to build the house. And, and you think about that. Now, remember, their offerings, I mean, they didn't have nothing really because they were slaves. But God gave them the gold from Egypt. It's really not their money anyway, right? It's just like today. And so he puts that charge out. And it says, whoever heart is prompted, whoever heart can identify, whoever can identify, if you're moved because of what I've done for you and who I am, then I want you to bring this offering. And I want you to begin to build an infrastructure that will hold my presence so that I can actually live with you. And so I, I just want to encourage us that that's a principle that's true for today. That's his presence dwells in a culture of love and not a culture of obligation. Man, come on, man. Have you ever, have you ever been in a moment where, you know, you've done things out of your Christian duty or, you know, you just you did it because you had to. And, you know, I've, I've done it. I've been there. And it just don't feel too good. But, you know, it's something special, man, when you're motivated out of that love and you give in. I mean, you could just feel the Lord all over it. So I, I just think that's really interesting that this is the beginning of the tabernacle. And I, I love, too, because it expresses the nature of who God is. Like, he just doesn't, he's not this God up there with all these rules and regulations forcing us to worship him. Yeah, come on. I said, like, in the New Testament, it's a picture of the Father sending Jesus, like uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so he didn't do it out of obligation, did he? He did it because he was motivated by love, by pure love for you and I. And he gave Jesus as an offering to build a kingdom that would sweep all of us in. And so that, that's just really cool insights he that I thought. He wanted to be with them. Yeah, and he wanted to be with <laughs> These them. These people that kept messing up <laughs> over and over again, he wanted to live with them. Yes, so good. So there's so much to the tabernacle. Um, so I just want to kind of highlight this next one. So when they brought the offering, the first thing the Bible says is they brought all these kind of things that represent colors. Look what they brought. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. But those things, I, and there's a bunch of other things. Oil, spices, 
But we don't have time to get, get in, a, in all those little details. But I wanted to stick with the first one, the colors first. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's essential oils. Essential oils. <laughs> put that essential plug in right there. <laughs> Vince knows what that's about. <laughs> I brought their essential oils to Jesus or to God. But uh, these prophetic colors, I feel like, represent two things, or they reveal two things to us. First, they reveal the aspects of God's nature himself. And then second, they represent environmental attributes that are needed to sustain his presence. So let's look at the first one, gold. Gold usually, almost all times in the Bible, represents purity and holiness, right? Purity and holiness. Almost all the times in the scripture, that's what gold represents, purity and holiness. But then there's another part to that, tested by the fire. Because it's the fire that purifies the gold. So the Lord is making a point that my tabernacle is going to be made up of gold. In essence, I need a place that's holy and that's pure. I need a place that will be able to go through the fire and let me refine them. Let me take them on the, you know, just the potter's clay and shape them and mold them, you know, to be, to be what I want them to be. So the gold, gold's very important in the tabernacle. Second color is silver. What does that represent? As I search the scriptures, um, something that jumps out to me is that it represents the knowledge of the Lord. Specifically, it represents the knowledge of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2 has great insight on that. And there's a couple other verses too. But the knowledge of the Lord. So all those with silver hair can be proud. (laughs) Come on. You're wearing the mantle. (laughs) You think of a a connecting verses in Habakkuk 2.14. And it says in Habakkuk 2.14 that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, which again is a representation of the gold, will fill the earth as the waters cover, Hebrew word for cover, is connected back to dwelling place or tabernacle, the whole earth. So he wants the whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of who he is. I I think we've not even scratched that surface, y'all. To really understand the knowledge of the Holy One. To, 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 to feast on the knowledge of who he is. So he wanted his, his dwelling place to be, to be highlighted with that. Third one was bronze. What does bronze represent? Bronze represents strength. Represents power and strength. It's a very durable, strong metal. And God's strength is awesome. I mean, come on. The power of God crushes everything. Talk about bronze. Here's a really cool thing. Um, And we'll get into this later, but just to kind of highlight it, it's interesting that when we look in the tabernacle, and we'll we'll get there, but when we actually look inside the tabernacle, there are certain pieces of furniture and everything in it that are only made out of one color, gold. There's a reason. Everything outside of that tabernacle is not made of gold. It's made of bronze. Now, why would that be? Why would that be? You don't have to answer it, but unless you have an answer, but there's a reason why. So there's like God uses all these colors and everything because he's, he's wanting to show us something. But everything outside was bronze. Again, we'll get into that a little bit later. Purple. Purple usually always represents royalty, kingship, and I, I feel what it's really personal for me is identity. Identity, right? Because we are sons and daughters. That is a royalty expression of heaven. A royal priesthood. 
Come on, we're, we're more than heirs with Christ Jesus. We're conquerors. We're sons and daughters. So I think the identity piece is crucial. Uh, knowing who God is and knowing who we are in him, I think that's a big part of the tabernacle. Um, scarlet yarn, you know, this is that to me. This is that, that bloodline of Christ Jesus. From Genesis 1-1 all the way through the book of Revelation, you can see Jesus. And he is the thread that binds everything together and holds us all together. So you need the blood, that scarlet yarn, it, it ties us all in. So I feel like some of these colors, you know, there's a whole reason. I would love, um, you know, in Pennsylvania, has everybody been in Lancaster, Pennsylvania? They have an actual live tabernacle that you could walk in. Have y'all been there? Have you been that, that, isn't it cool? Uh, it's so cool. We, we went twice. up there last year. Yeah. There's an actual full-scale tabernacle that the Mennonites, Mennonites have. The Mennonites have that you can walk through, and it just really gives you this great visual. But uh, very amazing, side note. So those are some of the things about the formation of the tabernacle and when, you know, God, when, when Moses was bringing it to, uh, to build. So second thing we want to look at is what is the purpose of the tabernacle? What is the purpose? Why is like God doing this? Why is he uh, revealing this? So in verse 8, we find our answer. It says, then have them make me a sanctuary for Who? For me, have them, have them make a sanctuary for me. But sometimes we come to church for us. I mean, we, we forget that sometimes. I'm talking to myself because you just get in that mode of receiving. And, but sometimes for that word. we have to come back to the word and it gets us back online that the sanctuary, the temple, and the house, the kingdom, it's all for him. It's all to come to him, you know, and, and that's what even tonight we started out. We're, we're you know, <laughs> we're just winging it from the Lord. But we felt like in prayer before this week, uh, we wanted to demonstrate what it was like to approach the tent, what it was like to approach the tabernacle, because you can come in that obligated state and you can come into that place where it's all about me. Oh, I'm going to church and I'm going to see so and so or I'm going to, you know, this and that and the other. And we just so forget that it's about the Lord, that we are coming for him, and that all this is for him. And, and that's something I think we need to remember. Do you guys agree? I, I agree. Lord, keep us on track on that. So it was built for God and not for man. All right, here we go. This is the whole highlight of the purpose. The purpose of this is to dwell with man. Make this tabernacle, and I'll show you exactly how I want it. But he, he said, I want to dwell among them. I want to dwell among them. So the Hebrew word for dwell is yasib. Yasib, it's Y-A-S-I-B. It's a really neat word. But yasib actually means to marry, to be married. Like marriage, spouse, husband and wife, a covenant relationship. How, how many know that marriage is different than even when you're courting or you're engaged. Amen. Married people say amen. How many know there's a difference in being married and then dating somebody, just boyfriend and girlfriend? <laughs> Big difference. The point is, God wanted not just to like hang around. <laughs> he didn't want to just visit, just kind of date us. He wanted to marry us. 
He wanted to marry his people. He, wanted to, he wants to marry us. That concept, that conceptualized idea of dwelling, I want to marry these people. Like even if you do bad, <laughs> I'm still going to love you. I'm going to talk to the married people in the house. Have you guys ever had some challenges and some issues? You haven't. Have I, we've never had that. <laughs> 10 years, 10 years. We got, I know some folks in here got like 40, 30 years. We got 10 years on it. We're getting there. But in those 10 years, there has been some ups and some downs. There have been some, we gotten loud and just lose it in the flesh. Oh my gosh, what mm. did I do? All of those things. But at the end of the day, we're married and we chose each other. You know, and that's a good concept of dwelling. That's how the Lord wants to do with us. He's not afraid if we mess up or fall down. He's going to pursue us. He's going to chase us because he's in it for the long run. I'm, I'm getting all preachy, but sorry, but it's just dwelling. And I love, too, that he chose covenant. Like, if you read through Genesis, you can see where man messed it up. Yes. And then he came back and said, let's make a covenant. Because I know you're going to mess this up again, but I'm going to stick to my end of the deal. Come on. <laughs> so good. Come on. So I, I looked at this and, and through even this Old Testament, the tabernacle, and then today. Because we want to talk about this, the tabernacle, but we also want to parallel, parallel it to today and how this is, really impacts us now. So dwelling, I feel, can relate in three areas. And it can relate like this. God with us, number one. God in us. And God works through us. And there, there, there are different aspects there. God with us, God in us, and God through us. So I look at God with us. This is a great example. Here's the Lord. He's coming alongside the people. He's dwelling in the tent. He's going before them. For you and I today, I, I feel that there, God is with us, and that is that external transformation that happens when we're walking with the Lord. Remember when Moses, in another part of the scripture, where he's up on the mountain, he comes down, his face is like burning and beaming with glory that the people can't even look at it, right? So what's happening? There's an external evidence. There's an external thing happening where he's carrying the glory. God is with Moses. But then... I love this. God in us. What a mystery. God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God in us. So without going there, but it's a great scripture to read, 1 John 2, 27 and 28. It teaches us, it says that everyone has an anointing. When you believe, when you first believe in the Lord, you have an anointing. That's inside of you. Not just upon you, but it's inside of you. And that anointing, that expression of the Holy Spirit himself is there to teach you personally, to guide you personally, to keep you safe, to protect you, and to partner with you in your life. And so it's just amazing that, that God actually lives in us. We went to a, uh, a conference not too long ago. Alan Hood from IHOP Kansas City was there. He shared a wonderful message about this. But one thing that I remember hearing is he brought this revelation, and I thought, oh, my Lord. And he said, don't you remember in the Bible and the scriptures it says that God is so big that the highest of heavens cannot contain him? Like, like you know how many cosmos and universes there are? I, I'm not an expert on that, but I know there's a lot. I know space is very big. And all I know is that not even that can contain him. But yet, 
It's a mystery that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we can contain him. That he dwells in us. Treasure in broken jars. This, man, that's an amazing mystery. God inside of you whew, to transform you and to teach you. So that's, that's, that's what the tabernacle teaches us. God through you. How many know that God works through you? All right. He worked through the Israelites. Like back in the day during this was happening, when they would move, they would march the ark and like the glory and the power of God would just silence the enemies. They would just go after Israel's enemies and the enemies would be, de be defeated. They would hear about, oh, the Red Sea dried up. Something is on them people. They do something, something super. Hey, them folks have been walking in the desert for 40 years and they, they don't have food. How are they living? Manna from heaven. I mean, food from heaven for 40 years. How are they even surviving? You know, those nations were talking about that, about these people. What is this box that they're carrying that has cloud, the glory cloud around it, the fire by night? Do you see what's happening? The reputation was already preceding their arrival. That's God working through them. So when God works through you, your reputation has already gone before you and opened up doors. Has that ever happened in your life? <laughs> right? Where you go and say, hey, you get connected with somebody and say, man, I heard about you. Wow. You know, something's, man, someone, so-and-so told me about you. And, man, I'm just excited. Man, come here. Man, here's the keys. You know, just come on in. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, your reputation goes before you. God is already working through you. So those are the three kind of ways that I feel God wants to dwell with us. He wants to be married to us. Amen? So that's the purpose of the tent. Okay. The spiritual, this is where it gets, now we're going to get into fun stuff. So the spiritual tabernacle and the human tabernacle. Gregory, we have, we have those slides, buddy, back there. I got a few PowerPoints. You got to have a visual for the tabernacle. You just got to have that. So we got a few slides, and I just kind of wanted to show you and go over. Okay. So, can we have a little fun? Uh, just, just yeah, we're gonna have a little fun. Um, all right, can everybody make out that picture? No, I know it may be kind of hard. Okay, who can tell me where the tabernacle is? Sinner, good job. Okay, who can tell me where the altar or the lavar the lavar is? Right there in the middle before the tent. Okay. Now, do you see these square boxes they look like around the tent, right? Who are those? What are those? They're the tribes. They're the tribes. That's good. You guys learning. I like how Judah's right there dead front and center. Remember, everything <laughs> in the Bible has a very strategic revelation and meaning to it. We don't have time to spend on it, but just, just have a little fun. So I want you to notice all these tribes. Now, this may not be the most accurate, but it gives us an idea. But you notice that there were how many tribes? Twelve. They were all strategically camped out around the tabernacle, right? So this is a picture of Jesus always being in the center of everything we do. He's got to be the center. All right. So there are certain tribes without, like I said, going into it. Here's something if, if, if anybody's into this. Genesis, I believe it's chapter either 48 or 49. 
Joseph's father was Jacob. Before Jacob dies, remember they're reunited with Joseph in Egypt. Before he dies as an old man, he takes the 12, all the sons. And he takes Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He pulls them all aside and he releases a blessing over them. He basically gives them a prophetic word that will guide and shape the destiny of their tribe. Some of us not so good. Some of them didn't have some good words. It was like more like, mm, you're, gonna, you're not going to do good. And it just it came to pass. Without getting into that, why, why are you bringing that up? Who's here for the dream school? Do you remember that night we discussed about how Genesis is a code or a key to understanding numbers in the Bible, the days of the creation. In the same format, understanding the blessing over all those sons of Jacob is a key in understanding how those tribes play out throughout the rest of the Bible. You're tracking what I'm saying? Let me give you an example. So as you look to the north, see the north right there, the end to the right inside the courtyard? It says in right there. For those who can't see, it's in north right there. So facing the north is three tribes. The tribe of Asher, the tribe of Dan, and the tribe of Naphtali. The first tribe up there, Asher. When Jacob pronounced the blessing over Asher, Asher's name means joy in Hebrew. It, it means joy, happiness. And if you read Asher, his DNA brings a lot of that into the Old Testament in some of the old stories. But... The north, again, is always representing the gate. Remember, the enemy in the Bible always comes from the north. Babylon came from the north. Syria came from the north. Magog and Russia will come from the north. They will always come from the north. That's the gate that is the enemy comes in that God positions certain tribes to block. So isn't it like God to put the spirit of joy, my God? to prevent the enemy from coming in. Because it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says in Joel that when the enemy came in and it, it, it annihilated the people, it said the joy, not the love, it said the joy was stripped out of the house of the Lord. So that's just an example if you're tracking that. If you read that, it's a very good, interesting footnote. Genesis 48, 49, it'll give you kind of significance of why each tribe is set there. And so it's just amazing. Now, Real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. There's one tribe that's different from the rest. Who can tell me what that one tribe is? Levites. Carrie got it. The Levites. The Levites are the only tribe that was not to be stationed with the rest of the tribes around the tabernacle. The Levites were to serve where? In the tabernacle, in the sanctuary. As a matter of fact, if you, uh, oh, did you say something? Oh, I'm sorry. If, if, if you read about the Levites, what you find out that's really interesting is that God set them apart for himself to serve in the tabernacle, to serve Aaron and his sons as priests, right? But what they represent is this. Do you remember back in the Exodus in the plagues? Remember the plagues? Now remember, what was the very last plague? Death of their firstborn son. Now, on that day, Egypt lost all their firstborn. But Israel, they did not because they had the blood over the Passover, over the doorpost, right? So he says, that firstborn 
was saved. But if you read on in the story, God says, I'm going to take that firstborn and they're going to be mine. M-I-N-E. My possession. So what happens is they take that firstborn when they get out in the desert out here and they get all that firstborn and then they do like this transition, impartation, if you will. And they pull the Levitical tribe, all the, the, the descendants of Levi, the Levites, and they have like kind of an exchange. And the firstborn, the Levites are now going to take their place and they are going to serve the Lord for the rest of their lives. They are made to serve in the house of the Lord. But what is the point in all that? The firstborn is from what? What tribe? If, if it's the firstborn of the entire nation, then what tribe are these people coming from? Judah? All the tribes. It's all the tribes. They all have a firstborn. Do you see what I'm saying? They all have a firstborn. It's the whole nation was spared. So the whole nation, tribe, Judah, Dan, everyone is now being, they're set apart, but now the Levites are going to take their place. That represents to you and I the priesthood. The priesthood of the believer. That's why we are all priests unto Jesus in the kingdom. This is that law that went before that made a way. And so that's just, okay, I, I just get really excited about that. But that's just really neat stuff. Praise break. I got to praise. Jesus. Let's feel the Lord. Woo! Come on. Say Jesus. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. Um, so, Jesus. Any questions so far on that picture? Yes, Shara. The two tents on the north and south side, what do they say? The, the north side? And the south, I see the south side is Zebulon, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Gad, Gad, the Reuben, ones, and Simeon. Oh, the little ones. Oh, the are, little ones? The little mm -hmm. ones, it says Aaron and his sons and Moses, and Moses tent. Yeah, the ones back is Koath, Gershon, and Mirion. And that is the three family heads of the Levitical tribe. So that, that represents the Levites that we just talked about. Does that make sense? Okay, awesome. And we're going to get the third class is we're all talking about the priesthood and the role of intercession and intercessors and what that means. But uh, so let's go to the next slide. If you will, I think there's another one. We'll go a little bit more. Here we go. So here's a little bit more clear picture of what the tabernacle looked like. Look at all those tents around that thing. Wow. You know, there's like a million people. Can you imagine having a million tents? Whew. A million tents. Yeah, it's inside the tent of meeting, which it's is inside the, the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is the smaller tent. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what I wanted to see from this, this photograph is that here it is. The tabernacle, from the bigger perspective, is made up of three arenas or three areas. There's the outer court, there's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. Say it with me. The outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Where they're inside of the perimeter there, the white fence looking thing, that's the courtyard. That is the outer court. 
if they went in, now only the priest, the, the people would bring their animal. You can actually see someone with an animal down there outside. They would bring them to the entrance there at the tent, and then they would pass the animal on to the priest. And the priest would take them. If you notice, the first, the first piece of furniture right there is the altar. That is the, 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 the brazen altar where the sacrifices were done. So that would have been the first thing that when the animal came in, they would have went to that altar. There were four horns on the altar. There's so many things on that. But that's where the blood was spilt. That's where the blood was spilt. And that's where the forgiveness of sins was given. Right? So it would go to the altar. And then after the altar, right past it is the lavar. Right? That's where the priest washed their hands. So after cutting them up and all that good stuff and just sacrificing to the Lord, they would go there and then they would wash their hands. They would purify themselves. Now, into the tabernacle, you see the little veil there. No one could go in but the priests. So they would go in there, and when you go in there, there were other two pieces of furniture, and that was the menorah, the lampstand, and the what? Table showbread, and then one more. That's inside. It's close. You, you, hey, you get the covenant. That's you good, though. That's good. Either. I like that. The altar of incense. Yes. All right. So, and that's, that's all inside. But, but again, what a fascinating picture. And then the glory cloud, of course, up there at the top. Can, can you go to the next one? There's another one. That gives us a little bit more diagram. Greg. Gregory. Did he leave? Oh, there Here we is. go. So there you go. Here goes a good diagram of it. So the altar burnt offering, then they would pass to the lavar, and then when they go inside of the holy place, there was the table of showbread to the right, and that's where the 12 loaves of bread were that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And the priest's job every day was to make sure that bread was kept, right? To, to keep it fresh, they removed it. Across from that was the menorah, the golden lampstand. And again, we're just kind of hitting these tonight. Next week, we're going to go through each piece of furniture in detail. The menorah was there, and then the altar of incense that would burn incense. And then you see the line, right, before the Ark of the Covenant. That was the holy, holy place, the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that's where the presence of God dwelt. That's where the Lord was. And only the high priest could go in there how many times a year? Once. Once a year. My Lord, Jesus did something for us, didn't he? He did, he did it good. So they would only go in there once a year. All right. So now I want us to give a kind of a framework of that. Now go to the next one there. So there's two tabernacles that I want to talk about here real quick. So there's the tabernacle we just talked about, right, in the Bible. And then there's a human tabernacle. We are the tabernacle. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? I want to read that real quick. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9. I, I feel like this is a pivotal verse in understanding this about the tabernacle. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think that's right. Yeah, verse 19, 
It says, do you not know that your own bodies are temples, tabernacles, dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So there is a human tabernacle. How many remember in the book of John when Jesus comes in It says that in the word was with God and the word was God. And you read down in John chapter one and it says, and he dwelt among them. The word dwelt in Greek is tabernacle in Hebrew. He tabernacled with them. Jesus did. Remember again, you see Jesus in another part of the gospels. He's challenging the Pharisees in the temple. And he said, I'm going to destroy this temple. And I'll rebuild it in three days. He weren't talking about the normal, the human temple, was he? He's talking about his body, his temple. So I just wanted us to see that there is a human tabernacle and you and I are it. So how does that work? Here it is. The outer court is our bodies. See, in the outer court, you could see things. People could see in the outer court what was all going on, just like people can see you and I. The body, the flesh, everything that's happening, we're the outer court. This, is, this represents our bodies, represent the outer court. But we're triune beings, just like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are also made of that triune part. There's the body, there's the soul or, or the, 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 the spirit. There, there's the, the body, the mind, which is the soul, will, and emotions. And then there's the spirit. So those three things correlate with the tabernacle. I just think that's really neat. So the outer court is the body, the holy place. Now, just like we saw in the picture, when you stepped into the holy place, what's happening? You're covered, right? So this is that second component. This is the mind, the will, and the emotions, the soul of who you are. It's housed in your body. I can't see your soul. I can't see your thoughts. I can't see your emotions, but it's clothed inside of who you are. It's the holy place. It's a holy place. Your conscience is supposed to be a holy place. Your thoughts are supposed to be the place where the manure burns with revelation from heaven. Our, our conscience, our, our behaviors are supposed to be filled with the bread of heaven, fresh every day. And then the holy of holies, our spirits, God's spirit. Wow, that's the holy place. And so what I kind of want us to see is that when you enter into the tabernacle, you have to have an approach. And the approach, for lack of a better word, is surrender. You have to yield. You have to surrender to go in. You see, what that, what that altar where animals were sacrificed, where that washing was, that was made of bronze, all of that represented God's strength crushing our sin and our weakness, our flesh, everything. It's met at the door. It doesn't go inside. It has to be dealt right there. Then you go into the holy place. Whew. 
and this mind, our hearts, everything here, this is holiness. This is where sanctification occurs. Come on, this is where we get filled with holiness of the Lord, where we are set apart to the Lord. Starts here first. Has to start here first. Surrendering our will, our mind, and emotions to the Lord. And then as we go into that process, he moves us in. He moves us into the holy place. Yeah, yeah, come on. Let her get a microphone for you. Something that I always, I always thought about that was just something. It's awesome, then it's frightening, and it's about when the priest would go in, and they would go to the laver, and they would sit, they would wash, and then the last thing they saw, because it was like a mirror in the bottom, and the last thing they saw, the priest mm-hmm. who was going in to the holy, you know, the holy place, the last thing they saw was their face. Wow. But they would go in with, and you, I'm sure y'all know this, a lot of people know this, they would go in with ropes tied around their ankles mm-hmm. and bells wow. on those ropes. Because if they weren't right with God, they, they, when they, if they didn't hear any bells ringing, they knew everything was okay. But when they heard bells ringing, mm-hmm. they'd pull them out by the ropes, wow. dead. That's right. But it's, I just think about that so much because it's a, it's a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. And we're as Christians, we're not perfect. And he don't want us to be perfect because we can't mm. be. He wants to be us to be holy and to love him yeah. above everything. But we have got to get the world out of us before we, before we go into the holy place. That's right. And I, I, just wow. thought, I just think about that a lot. You know, I, I love the story of the tabernacle. I'm not familiar with all of it, but... You know, it's just like the last thing they saw was their face and the mm. labor. And then they're tied to their feet and they're going in. That's right. And um, they know if they're, if they're right or not. You know, once a year, this is, they look so forward to this. And their family, mm. it's an awesome it's like celebration. You know, they get to go once a year for their family and their community. Mm. And um, anyway, I've just always thought of that so many times. And as imperfect as I am, I've got to strive wow. to keep the world out, be yeah. in it, but not of it. That's so good. Wow, thank you, Tammy. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Has anybody else got a question or anything, or anything stirring a question that the Lord's showing them right now? I felt, I felt like, there we go. No, go ahead. I felt like the Lord's dropping some revelation. I was just going to mention that Levi means my heart. So you were talking about them being in the center of everything. Me, it means a heart. My heart. My heart. Wow. That's really neat. Come on. Hold on one second and we'll get get to you, Miss Mary. I was just going to say to follow up on what Tammy said was, I think if they were going into the Holy of Holies, they thought they were right with God. I mean, they weren't going to go in there to necessarily burn up, but there was still people that burn up. But they were going in thinking that they were, they were in a good place, and some of them weren't. That, yeah. to me, is what's scary. And, and who yeah. knows? Maybe yeah. the Lord just wanted to keep that reverential fear of well, that's, God that's, amongst the people. Well on, well, on that, what's good to know is, thank you. I'm, I, just I was thinking the same thing. I want to pick up on that. 
I can't recall and recount, even though they had the rope and the bells tied around them, I can't recall that there ever was a name attached to someone who died and they yanked him out. That's right. It wasn't to the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira where they lied to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that we have an actual name tied to the God struck them dead at that point, right? That's right? So I think it's that reverential fear of God. It's there. Yes. You ought to know it's a dangerous thing to get before God and think you're okay and you're not. That's right. No, that, I think that's exactly right. I mean, and, you know, Hebrews 9, and we'll, like I said, we'll get into it in other classes, but Hebrews chapter 9 gives us the outline of, of why, you know, of how the kingdom works and how Jesus has passed through not this tabernacle, but a spirit, this, the heaven's tabernacle to fulfill and be the fulfillment of those things. And so he, he, he said, uh, you know, you think about that. I, I thought about this when I was doing the study. Oh, I'm sorry. Was there a, I'll finish this thought. I, I thought when I was doing the study, because in my mind, right, I, I'm, I'm having this dialogue. I know this is Old Testament. I love it, and I want to know it. But at the same time, in my mind, I'm thinking, how is this working now? And how does this work with Jesus? And so in my mind, I'm thinking, at what point did Jesus pass through this tabernacle? You know, and you just start thinking. At what point did he die, right? What, what point in the altar? What point in the holy place, the menorah? And then at what place did he enter into the holy place, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant? You know, in his life. And there's, there's a lot of things that we'll, we'll get into that. But there's some of the things that just get us to thinking. He was the tabernacle. Can you elaborate on what this festival we're coming into, Purim, that we're on the Hebrew calendar, what this tabernacle has to do with what we're heading into? Because I'm not a little fuzzy on the Hebrew calendar and this whole thing and how it impacts us. Yeah. Yeah. I want to let Mary Esther yeah. comment on that because I think she has some really good stuff on that. Is that okay, Mary Esther? Well, what God showed me is that Esther is a picture of a person that is intimate with God, has the access to go into the bridal chambers. So, in effect, she is going beyond the veil. She goes into the holy of holy place. She has that relationship with the Lord and is able to intercede and speak with him and has his ear. So, it's the same kind of progression as you're going you know, closer and closer to the Lord. So that was kind of the the beginning idea of it was that to go beyond the veil, to live in that place where you are in a relationship with the Lord that's the holy of holy place because you love him and you're consecrated unto him. You're in that relationship with him. And then even later, he kind of gave me a little bit more to that because I was like, well, you know, that makes sense. But he was, as I was reading in, in an Esther book, it was talking about um, how the the palace is called Sushan, and that is lily. And there are lilies in the decoration of the holy of holy place. So that they go together, and it said it's mentioned 18 times that lilies, which is also Jesus from Song of Songs, 
it was mentioned 18 times, and, I, and it also means holy place. And this is the year of 2018, so I thought that was really timely mm-hmm. that we're going as a congregation. We're learning what does it mean to, to get in that relationship of not just, you know, being in the outer court, oh, hey, God, but we're in that close relationship and we're like going to experience together in 2018 mm. the holy place. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Amazing. That's so good. I really feel like it's a mandate on the house to that we carry that priestly mandate of intercession in the holy of holies and to kind of like elaborate on the reverential fear like cuz when I encounter the Lord like that's how I always encounter him. I I envision myself in the holy of holies with the ark of the covenant and I and with the reverential fear of God like sometimes we forget on the ark what is the top of it? It's the mercy seat. We get to partake in his holiness because of mercy. It's mercy that allows us to enter in and encounter him. It's not something to be afraid of. There's a reverential thing about it, but it's not something. It's something to to, um, encounter with gratitude. Like, oh, my gosh, I get to be here and dwell with you because of the mercy. I get to sit on the mercy seat and receive him and his goodness. And that's the beautiful thing about this. Miriam, you going to save it? Okay, I want to hear it. All right, Mama, we want to hear it. I, I like what Aaron was saying. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He made the way. So we don't have to go through those regulations and rules. And th- Could you imagine if we had to bring a goat every time we sinned or something? I know back in the day, I'd be, I'd be having goats from here to Texas. I mean, like, I just, I just might stay and just feed them goats all day. <laughs> and I, so I really love, that was a good question, Cher, because I really love mm. about that. I've never, I mean, I've noticed it before about Esther, but to really see it in the way of the tabernacle of how Powerful. Esther had authority to go before the king. And she, she wasn't did. afraid. <laughs> she was, everybody else was like, you're a crazy woman. He's going to slice your head off. But she, she knew her place mm. with the king. Yes, yes. the Feast of Purim. Yep. Yes. It's connected with the story of Esther. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. Yeah. But again, just a comment though. But that—that—that's the power of Jesus. He—he he made a way for us. He—he he ripped the veil. Now here—here's uh, one other thing I want to get. I feel like I got this from the prayer room this morning. Just thinking about this. Marion, I think, read the scripture. I think it was about Hebrews. There is a, there a passage in Hebrews. I think it's in twelve or thirteen where it talks about the shaking. You know, he says that uh, uh, once more I will shake the heavens and the earth. And that what's not, uh, what can't be shaken will remain. What, what, you know, with the unseen, the invisible will remain. But what's shaken will be shooken out of there. And that's what happened when Christ came, man. Wow. When he died, when he died on that cross, a specific action happened. Two things. Let me tell you what happened. The earth shook through an earthquake and the veil was ripped in half. 
once more there's a shaking. And, and that was God shaking the earth. And what does that mean? He was shaking the old paradigm. Here's a word. If you're going through a shaking right now, it's because he's trying to shake the old way of thinking. That is a word. Woo! Come on. And he's trying to get you into a new realm of thinking. If you're go I'm serious. If you're going through a shaking right now in your life, it, I, I'm just shaking. It means probably that the Lord is trying to transition you out of old mindsets, old patterns, and into a whole new paradigm of thinking and perceiving from the Father, from the Lord, than you had in the past. And not that the past was bad. It was just at that time. But now we're moving on. Just like when Jesus, you know, it served a purpose up until that point. But when Christ died and the veil was torn, the new way, the kingdom came. And that's why we can go to the ark. We can go to the throne anytime we need to. Yes, ma'am. We can go boldly. Yes. It's accessible. Hey, come on. Yes. Le yes. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You can give her the microphone. Hold on, Renee. Hold on, Renee. Come on, Renee. There's something about living right and doing right. And, and, and I thank God for how Pastor Mike teaches because when I come here, I'm telling you, he teaching us that God is not out there to be ran behind in the sense of not knowing him, but he's in us. And the Bible says he dwell in our innermost being. Mm. That's that holy place. Mm. That's that holy of holies. <laughs> and and, and, and hallelujah. It. And I just thank God, God because she was saying about Esther being bold. And it's no goodness of our own. Mm. And I say we don't have to explain to the unrighteous how we can enter the presence Shoot. of God. The Bible told us how we can go. Mm. We know we have sinned and done. But God calls us to know that we can. he made access that we can come and ask him to forgive us. And we're mm. back in standing with God. Mm. While other people might be having a problem mm. with us not being righteous. But I thank God because for so long I was beat down. I didn't know who I was. Mm. But I thank God since I've been back here, um, um, Pastor Mike, Pastor Tom, I thank God for mm. liberty. And if you stay in the presence of God and you wait on God, God will get you back where you Shoot. need to be. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I don't care. God bless, excuse me. No, I, just, I, I thank God I'm because scared. you even said at the beginning of I've the service enough. how you felt that God mm. was letting you to know. And it, it, just, it just meant how somebody was struggling. It's a blessing to be in a place where somebody hear God. Did you hear what I'm saying? That somebody got to see an eye because then you got to give an account and you can't do anything. That's right, that's right. You ain't getting by, and it kind of causes you to walk. I'm with your back up, but I'm going to sit down. But I just thank God for your teacher because I'm one of those that strugg that's struggling with hearing the voice of God. Come on. I thank God for you and, um, and um, Sister Amber for teaching. Man, come on, yeah. Woo! Stand up, Renee. I just, just stretch your hands out. We just want to pray for Renee. I just feel the Holy Spirit. Father, we just pray, God, for more of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for Renee. And we thank you, Lord, for the shaking. 
Lord, that is bringing her into a new season and a new life. Lord, we thank you for the voice that she carries. We thank you, Lord, that you have marked her and that you have called her, Father. And we just thank you for this new season that you're bringing her into. Lord, we shake off the things of old. We break them off right now in the name of Jesus. And I heard the Lord very clearly as you're speaking that you are in this season of training, but he's getting you ready. I heard him say, he's getting you ready. And I saw the vision of the armor of God, like you were in an attic and you had like, you're looking in a mirror and you, you had like the armor, but it was like dusty and rusty. But then I just saw the Lord cleaning it off. And he said, don't take it off just yet. Don't take it off just yet. You have a new assignment coming. And so I feel like there is an assignment that God is birthing inside of you, Renee. Being here at this church is designed for you to get that assignment, to be trained and equipped. So God, we just thank you for Renee. We thank you for the mandate on her life, and we just thank you, Lord. We bless her, Jesus. Yeah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on. I'm, I'm say, but I want to say I thank God for Pastor Tom. Yes. I called okay. him. He won't tell y'all this. Mm. And I told him, I said, I want to submit. See, that's why. Mm. And you taught that. Wow. I, I didn't have to call him, mm. but I called him and told him I'm ready to submit wow. to the teaching. I don't run I don't run here and there no more. If wow. I'm not here, I'm either working or something going on. And I say that because it's important to be wow. accountable. Yes. We are not our own. And if you humble yourself, if Ooh. you humble yourself, mm. the Bible says in due time, he will lift you up. Wow. That's what the Bible said. <laughs> and, and so I just want him to know I, I'm, I'm just happy. I'm happy because if you wait on God, God will bring your liberty, your freedom, and, and, and keep your eye on the source. Mm, Jesus. Did you hear what I'm saying? Don't look at <laughs> nobody else but the source. And the Lord told me to come here and, 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 and be humble and be submissive. Pray my strength in the Lord. Woo. Just give the Lord a shout. Come on. Just praise him. Jesus. Hey. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Mm. We want to tabernacle with you, Lord. We want to dwell with you, Jesus. We want to dwell with you, Lord. Oh, God, we want to be with you so bad, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you are in us, Lord. Mm. We thank you, Lord. We're like little children. Lord, we just want more. We just want to know you more, Father. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I just pray that tonight, Lord, that you would just seal this word. Lord, that you would just get us flowing and, and get our, us hunger going to study the word of God, to hear the voice of the Lord. Just like Renee was saying, Father, we just want to thank you for that word. We want to receive it, Father. We thank you for what you're doing, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray, God, that you just continue to release angelic visitation, just divine intelligence from heaven, Revelations, God, I just pray for everyone here tonight, Lord, that you would just pour your spirit out over them, Lord. I pray that, Lord, that you would bring them into a, a place where they will feast on the knowledge of who you are. You gave my wife a word, Lord, that we would sit at your table and feast on your very character, that we will feast on your goodness, that we would feast on your mercy, that we would feast on your truth and your love. Lord, I pray that for everyone here tonight, Lord. You have set a table for all of us, Lord. And we love you, Lord. And we just thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay.
Ne next week, we're going to go more into this part here, and we're going to talk about how the pieces of the furniture correlate with our human temple, our human tabernacle, and we'll go in depth to that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.